and welcome to another episode of Radio Zaddy, your podcast for queer history. Uh, I'm Hannah Bestwick and with me as always is... Daisy Thurston Gent. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, very good, thank you, Hannah. Yeah, yeah very nice. good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. I, carried, I found a sofa in a skip last night, um, so I carried it home on my head. Here is some context. I was driving down the road at an ungodly hour and um, my friend said, who's that walking sofa? And I said, that is, in fact... Hannah Bestwick. Yes, it was me. I found a sofa. Sadly, it didn't have any legs, so I thought I thought maybe I could find them later, but I didn't. But I found a sofa entirely intact with the label still on in a skip, and I was like, well, I need that now. Yeah. And so I was walking back with it on top of my head. Yeah, a bit like, you know, in movies where pirates wear a boat on top of their head yeah. underwater? Yes. It was like that. It was really fun. Um, Hannah is a uh, crafty queer. Mm, I like to scavenge and make things and fix things and then, you know, I kind of, I generally sell them, not necessarily to make profit, but so that it's it's worth the effort or yeah. like, not worth the effort, but maybe more like, um, it justifies me <laughs> doing it, home, yeah. <laughs> right? Rifling through skips. Hannah is the kind of, yeah, the unlikely upcycle uh, <laughs> eyes of the house. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, But yeah, if you're new to this podcast, um, Daisy and I each week will research a a topic about um, something... Queer topic of our choosing? Yeah, queer topic of our choosing. This might be about something in in history, a particular queer person, or we'll find something that we're interested in and work out, you know, how it's queer, how we feel represented in that way. And then we'll spend half an hour telling each other each, uh, half an hour each, that is, uh, telling each other about what we've learned for that week. Yeah, it's meant to be an intro to the topic um, please feel free to go and do your own research afterwards. Um, it's just a kind of starter for ten, basically. Yeah, That's exactly. Something we found interesting that maybe we didn't know before. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, we don't know what we're going to research uh, or what the other person is researching, so it is it's entirely new to us as well. So that's quite fun too. And I believe actually, uh, because we had the New Year's episode last episode, oh, yeah, it's um, the first official proper done proper episode this year yeah exactly and i think i'm going first you are hannah bestwick okay so i've been researching um this topic for a little while now because i um there's there's a lot of history about it in general Mm. um and um there's a a shorter history of its queerness so i'm actually going to do a little bit about the longer history and then ending up with the queerness of it. And this is going to be uh, queer protest pin badges. Mm-hmm. Okay? Nice. So we've heard it many times before that Pride was a protest, and a protest, absolutely, it was. LGBT plus people have been oppressed, marginalised, and our existence has actually been highly politicised. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, the creation and wearing of LGBT signalling pins was and is a, a political act in itself, an act of protest. Damn right. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to take you in the way, way back machine uh, and look at the early and very humble beginnings of the um, identity badge, hmm, okay, okay, or protest badge. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, so initially it wasn't always used as like a, a protest item, but it was used to um, announce something about your identity, okay? And the very first um, kind of example of this is uh, from a Christian pilgrimage route um, bought, and you would buy this this badge in a holy shrine, in the 1100s, so it's the 12th century. Wow. It wasn't a pin badge because they didn't have that that like advanced pin advanced technology. technology. <laughs> so you would just sew this a to your clothes. Clippy bit of metal. But what it would on. do is it would it would announce that you were claiming your Christian faith. Okay. Okay. Um, and I was initially like, oh, maybe that was really brave. But actually, in the 1100s, the Christian church was incredibly powerful. So it wasn't super uh, out there yet. Mm. But it was kind of the first instance of saying like, I'm wearing this because I. You know, I identify as Mm, a Christian or whatever. But the use of badges as an identity marker or to claim um, who you are has been retained throughout history. So you're you're like decorating yourself Mm. um, to announce who you are and what you believe. And actually sort of as I'm saying this, I'm thinking that decorating ourselves to, to announce our identity isn't a kind of... 11th century thing you know the entirety of human history we've been painting our bodies yeah. and like decorating ourselves yeah, to mark who, who our people are yeah yeah um but this is just about badges yeah okay great love it love it five minutes badges here we go <laughs> um so then we're gonna go back forward yeah so like we've been to the 1100s and now we're gonna go- come to the 1900s okay, so, so more recently right then the badges become political protest badges okay. okay they become really associated with wearing a big pin badge that says um 
you know, I'm part of a trade union, or um, it might say you're part of a particular club, mm. or it might say like, um, no Nazis and mm. Hitler is an asshole. Like, yeah. you know, or things. Most women. Or, yeah, yeah, quite quite um, broad broad concept yeah. items. You know, anti-war or anti-Nazi or like f- yeah. down with fascism, um, or just saying like a boating club member you're like cool they do love those i think all the yeah i mean i grew up in cambridge and they still love uh badges and sashes and little rosettes little rosettes to be like i'm in the club i'm in the club yeah Yeah. and so in some way actually that is kind of like a there is a bit of elitism about Mm. those sorts of badges um but in kind of the second half of the 20th century there was uh there became a much more personal uh personal way to announce something about the wearer itself not just a, a membership of a club. Mm. So it's a single signal to those who are both like you and those who are, diff- who are different to you. So a bit more individualised. Yeah, a bit more individualised, less broad concept, anti-fascism, more like, um, I personally have done this. Oh, yeah, so they'd usually have like a clear slogan on them or a message about the stance that you were taking against something like um, the prohibition. You might say, um, vote dry, um, and have like a little, they had like a little picture of an umbrella on it mm. or the um opposite one of that, with that of that was just like we want beer was the other side of the the prohibition <laughs> yeah very clear about like what what you actually want from the yeah, from yeah. the um it's the just... vote or or something like that from yeah yeah like this like a protest sign but just yes on a badge on a badge yeah. yeah exactly and it's kind of a way of spreading your message um you could like start a conversation mm. via it you could drum up support for your cause and um as noted by um, Philip Atwood, who is keeper of coins and medals, a job that Philip, I'm coming for your job. By so the this way, this is a pseudonym for you. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is actually my moonlighting job. Yeah. Um, he's from the Brit- British Museum. Um, he said it's a way to conve- convey the belief that you, as an ordinary person, can make a difference. Mm. Okay, so this is the kind okay, of changing that. mindset that we're seeing now that the individual import uh, the individual important. is becoming more important, right? And so, in then the final third of the 20th century i guess um so like in the 60s 70s 80s we were seeing like huge social reform mass communication was getting easier it wasn't like Mm. hugely easy or cheap but it was getting easier and cheaper and there were many more large-scale protests movements around like sexual politics um, women's rights nuclear power people Mm. were anti-nuclear power um, yeah. there was kind of the burgeoning awareness of climate change. Yeah, the um, threat of just being bombed to shit. Yeah, well. exactly. Um, fair wages, employment rights, the apartheid, the Vietnam War, indigenous land rights, mm. unionising was becoming much bigger, strikes, and, of course, the Stonewall riots, all in this very tumultuous yeah, time, yeah. OK? Um, so this is a change from the badge, like I said, to a specific structured movement, mm. okay? So you might say, I like, I have been to Pride, or, like, I went to this protest. This advertises a collective belief and desire, explicitly through the use of a small badge. Um, and it could be subtle, and it could be removed as well. So if you, if you are now taking a stance that could be um, in some way dangerous for you to take, mm. um, you could take that pin off. So if you're saying, like... Um, I'm anti, I'm like against the Vietnam War. In some circles, that could be um, very contentious. So you mm. can take that off if you need to, if you go to work or whatever, and you need to, like, you know, hide that stance. Yeah. Whereas, you know, um, down with fascism it, during the war wasn't a particularly uh, unusual stance to take yeah. at that time, right? Okay, okay. So you could pick and choose. You can pick and choose when you're, when you're displaying it. And people would get these badges at the protests themselves, okay? And it's one of the safest places to know that you're among like-minded people. And um, I, I think it was you, Daisy, that talked about how people would go to Pride and disseminate literature and, like, pamphlets and things like that. And so you'd also go and get your badges, mm, okay. right? Um, that was, like, the collective meet-up opportunity, I guess. Exactly. For information and for... And you knew you were around mm. your people and you could make those connections. Um, you could make friends, you could hook up like whatever but um that kind of like i was talking about mass communication although it wasn't still like incredibly easy people were starting to gather in in bigger groups for these protests mm. and then were able to disseminate more information it was kind of like yeah growing and growing yeah, and growing the, the snowball effect I guess. yeah yeah snowballing effect um so especially with so many gay people uh, well queer people at the time being in the closet it was really important to have badges that could be removed right mm. so you could wear it and be out and proud at this protest 
and also because there wouldn't necessarily be photos of you mm. at the Pride protest. There wasn't that fear of being photographed with it on. You just go to the event, put your badge on, yeah. feel proud, and you can take it off when you need to for safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the gay liberation movement grew in America in the 70s and 80s, and the badges alongside that were a kind of collective experience, uh, like a... Uh, cementation mm -hmm. so um, a tangible real thing to kind yeah. of feel like I have a connection to what happened yeah. it wasn't just in my mind it wasn't like you know I was on my own I know that I was there, I was there and people people are with me on this okay so you're building up a collective history yeah and, and I was this kind is of the, yeah the pink triangle well, well, Ooh, okay, well, okay. Daisy, okay, I, 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 I specifically Sorry. haven't said what, what they are yet, and I know that that's maybe a bit of a tease, but, so my research, I haven't been able to, you're actually leading me right into this, I haven't been able to identify when people um, think the very first queer identity, identity badge came out, because, of course, a lot of them were coded. Yeah. Coded in a way that when you looked at them, it didn't say, we want beer, in the, like, equivalent of, like, we want dick or something. Yeah, we are here, we're queer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were coded so that you as a queer person could identify another queer person, but a non-queer person wouldn't know. Because mm. that was so important at the time, to not out yourself. Yeah involuntarily so one of the first symbols um would have been the lambda symbol which was adopted in the in 1970 okay, okay by the um new york gay activists alliance and the lambda symbol is like an upside down y okay you might have seen it and that's just it's just you know it's a, i think it's a greek letter very innocuous innocuous you wouldn't you wouldn't yeah. put those two together okay so it couldn't really be decoded unless you already were in the life, as it were. Mm. Unless you'd been to a meet-up or a protest or a Or movement. somebody had told you specifically, yeah. yeah. So, um, and that in, in its own way was both allowing you to make connections at, while being um, safe. So that would have looked a little bit like the peace symbols, but without the middle line. Yeah, do you want, I, hang on. Because I'd see some of those, you know, when I was a, a teen, hippie, punk, whatever I was, mash-up, uh, queer. Oh. Bit queer. I so, used to wear those. Yeah, this is this. I'm showing uh, Daisy a picture of the lambda symbol. So it's actually kind of um. Okay, so it has got it's a like a bit fancy of a, Y. Yeah, uh, upside down. Italic. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like a, a an S but backwards, and then a line off it yeah, to make like it the um. Okay. Yeah, to make it a Y. That's interesting. Yeah. But it's um yeah it's it's used a lot by by coding, and I think it's um yeah it's also the logo for Half Life, which is a video game. Mm, okay. Um, I don't know if they know. Uh, Maybe, maybe it is actually part of the whole thing. But anyway, uh, yeah, that later became the, the symbol of the growing movement of gay liberation. And in 1974, it was adopted by the International Gay Rights Congress, which uh, was held in Edinburgh, Scotland. So I think it's important to remember, mention now the pink triangle, like you said, okay, and the kind of history and the mm. origins of that. Because that, um, it's not a nice history, no, obviously. It's not. Um, just as the Nazis forced Jewish people to wear a yellow star of David, they forced people they labelled as gay, so this, they weren't necessarily even gay, they might just be effeminate men. Mm. They labelled gay as men, they made them wear an inverted triangle, so an upside down triangle, and were thus branded, uh, and those thus branded uh, were treated as the lowest of the low mm. in the camp hierarchy. They would also be segregated from the other men um, because there was fears that homosexuality was um, contagious and um, some prison guards would bribe fav sexual favours from these gay men or, yeah. or what they would call like doll boys mm. um, in exchange for proper food rations and things like that. They would withdraw, withhold um, yeah. things they should be normally getting. Equally, when the camps were liberated, many of the gay men, if not all of them were not liberated. They went to prison because being mm, homosexual still, was still a crime. And they'd been outed. Yeah, they'd yeah. been outed by the Pink Triangle. So they went from the camps to prison and were unable to speak about the shame and their experience because of, of fear of further punishment. Yeah. You know, because even if you got away and you managed to get rid of your Pink Triangle and um, went out into the world, you couldn't explain the horrific experience you'd had in prison without you outing yourself. to any... Yeah, yeah it wasn't legal. And actually in 1979, um, there was a play written by Martin Sherman called Bent, which was inspired mm -hmm. by a guy called um, Heinz Herger's memoir, um, which was published in 1972. So Hein uh, Herger was um, in the camp as a, um, as a homosexual, and he wrote this memoir. Martin Sherman made a play of it, and it opened in broad Broadway. On Broadway? On Broadway. In, on Broadway? Sorry, I'm not in the know. 
<laughs> and in the play, one of the characters trades his pink triangle for a star of David to give himself preferential treatment over the homosexuals. Okay, and that was considered. It was considered a very controversial play, mm. um, because in some way it was read as like um, trying to lord the treatment of homosexual people over the treatment right. of Jewish people in camps, and like in in a way, rather than saying like it was adding to the the complexity of the story and the existence of peoples as a whole people were saying oh you're just trying to say that your experience was worse than ours and or, or theirs and like yeah. it's not a competition yeah like, it was a, it was a horrific bad time, time for everybody yeah involved, exactly like. um so then in the yeah. 80s we had the hrv and aids crisis an absolutely devastating pandemic of, of hiv among um most especially gay men um, in the Western world, and activists in the organisation ACT UP, which is AIDS Coalition mm -hmm. to Unleash Power, uh, who work to aid, end the AIDS pandemic, mm -hmm. um, decided to use the Pink Triangle as a symbol of their campaign and to allude to the history of the Pink Triangle inverted mm -hmm. in their manifesto. Okay, so they were basically saying in the manifesto that was um, published, silence about the oppression and annihilation of gay people uh, then and now must be broken as a matter of survival. Okay, so mm. and the one for the gay uh, gay liberation, um, the the pink triangle. Okay, yeah. Avram uh, Finkelstein, who was credited with the designing, is right side up rather okay. than upside down. Okay, so uh, I think I actually see some people wearing it upside down still, but it like it's supposed to be right side up. Okay, for the um in the, for the like reclaiming sense. Yeah. Okay. Right. The design of the pink triangle came about specifically after a conservative pundit um, who was William F. Buckley. He suggested that HIV and AIDS patients get tattoos to warn their partners. And this kind of this was, you know, they decided to go with the pink triangle as a as a protest to saying that being like you're you're doing what was done to us before. Yeah, you're you're marking us. Yeah, you're, you're, you're suggesting. Us. Yeah, you're suggesting marking us in the same way that the Nazis did. Shit, that's so traumatic. It's so awful, like to say you need to get tattoos to warn your butt. You know, and there was a public discussion about putting gay men into concentration camps to keep the endemic from spreading. Being like, what if we just round them all up and people, then they can't have sex with other people? People do such strange and scary things when because of fear. Yeah, and when they're afraid. When people are afraid, there is this, it's you know, a horrible human thing to to separate and to. In, in theory protect yourself yeah. but it doesn't do that and yeah. isolating any group of people any marginalised group of people is just it's a really scary thing that we yeah. see repeated in history a lot yeah we're seeing that as well like now yeah. with the Covid pandemic is people are tr becoming separatists and they're saying well if we just don't let people in or we don't let these people in then we'll be safe and it's, that's not that's it's never worked <laughs> it's never worked and it's also it doesn't help you to isolate from other people mm. because collectively we can overcome things but separately we cannot mm. you know it's um yeah, don't split up it's like a budget horror film just don't do it like well exactly we all know you do not split up do not split up i mean even basically scooby-doo taught us that as well Scooby -Doo did teach us that yeah when fred is always like you go this way you go this way things always go badly yeah terrible time so um he decided to go with fuchsia pink triangle okay instead of originally it had been designed with a light pink but he decided to go with fuchsia pink which was a, a kind of um a nod to the new wave fuchsia that had been adopted by the recent punk movement right mm, a okay. protest punk anti um sorry counterculture yeah and it's a black background with just the word silence equals death mm -hmm. okay it's an incredibly That's iconic yeah yeah you may have you may have seen that poster yeah it's very, very iconic, and it's very simple to produce a badge from because it is just a, a triangle on a black background. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I said, these symbols still didn't necessarily convey anything about you if you didn't want it to. Um, they it was still just a symbol rather than words. Mm. Um, about your alignment to um the cause, and it's important because at that time, even now, of course, um, LGBT people do do suffer high rates of hate crime and um, abuse mm -hmm. for being no more than just being queer or looking queer mm. um and so you need to be able to remove these symbols um for safety reasons so um in 1990 though there was a published a queer nation manifesto um it was passed out by act up at the new york city pride mm. um and there's a section um specifically kind of um written from the perspective of a lesbian okay about 
that concept of, of hiding and needing to needing safety and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's titled um, Where Are You Sisters? Invisibility is Our Responsibility. OK, and so the author says, I wear my pink triangle everywhere. I do not lower my voice in public when I talk about my lesbian love or sex. I always tell people I'm a lesbian. I do not wait to be asked about my boyfriend. And I do not say it's no one's business. Mm. And I don't do this for straight people. Most of them don't know what the pink triangle even means. And most of them couldn't care less that my girlfriend and I are totally in love or having a fight in the street. Most of them don't notice us no matter what we do. I do what I do to reach other lesbians. Mm. I do what I do because I want lesbians to... um, I don't want lesbians to assume I'm a straight girl. I am out all the time, everywhere, because I want to reach you. And so ultimately, even though it is necessary to have a badge that can be removed to prevent outing yourself to people that you don't want to, is it is it ultimately more important to have something that helps us build community and spread awareness? You know, mm. where where do you toe the line? Yeah. You know, how much do we need to be visible and spread awareness and be out yeah. compared to being concerned about our safety? That's, yeah, that's a really tough line to tread actually and Mm. because you know you feel such a lot of warmth and and community when you do see someone wearing oh my god i love it yeah and if you see another you know a couple holding hands yeah another you know another queer person on the street and you make eyes and that's that's such a lovely moment it's like you know the the nod of recognition Mm. is important Mm. and maybe that happened less and less when we were younger and now it happens more and more, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I appreciate seeing people holding hands and just being, like, queer and out. Yeah. You know, it really... It warms my heart. It really does. Definitely. Um, so then that takes us... Um, to a kind of different route. Because ba- badges were existing now because there was um, there was a fight to be won. There had always been a fight to be won, but the fight had now started, mm-hmm. kind of. That's what it felt like after the riots and where we were starting to have pride. And we were saying, yeah. okay... Well, then now we fight, right? We no, mm-hmm. we no longer it's do... It's too late now. No turning no, back. Exactly. There's not enough shadows for everyone to hide in. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to have to come out. Out of the closets, onto the streets. Exactly. Okay. So in order to gain more support, you know, um, there was kind of now a bit more of a drive to out ourselves to people. Like like the, um, the text said, uh, sorry, the quote from the author about, um, you know, where are you sisters? Mm-hmm. Saying like... Actually, straight people don't care as much as I thought they would, but I'm trying to reach Reach other queer people, okay? So then um, you actually get way more badges appearing that say things like, dyke, or like, (laughs) how dare you assume I'm heterosexual? Uh, And one of my favourite ones that I saw, which was uh, gay whales against fascism, which was really cute. Gay whales? Gay whales, because there was also like an anti-whaling movement at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gay movement. And fascism was on the rise. And so gay whales against fascism. Yes. All aimed at announcing their purpose to anybody who cared to read them. Okay, so poipus. They're all announcing their (laughs) purpose. Um, (laughs) So, you know, even if you weren't queer, you you could read that and be like, ah, that that person has a dyke badge on that I can probably quite safely assume they're a dyke. (laughs) A proud dyke. dyke. And again, you know, rallying support for AIDS investment, um, you know, silence equals death, Mm. uh, fund AIDS research now, things like that. Um, And it is a kind of important part of our semi-recent history because it does provide us with a tangible and material link to it, right? A lot of uh, written history was destroyed pre-1900s and a lot of... um, history wasn't written or um doesn't just doesn't exist yeah. right um we were wiped out ignored yeah if you wouldn't know what it was if you can identify it you can destroy it yeah so if it is going undetected there these actual icons these physical tangible mm. icons these physical survive. items you can now hold and say like oh the fight was going on like mm. it was happening that's so cool yeah just because i can't read someone's diary about how they were queer and out and like going to big gay parties and pride i can hold this pin and know that somebody wore it because they With were proud intention. yeah um and it, it's you know it's undeniable the words printed on the badge cannot be read in another way if it says gay or dyke it's just announcing us announcing and insisting on naming what we are rather mm-hmm. than kind of you know that nimby uh, perspective not in my backyard uh where people are like i just don't want to see it whether it's almost like mm-hmm. you're still oppressing someone if you're like it's fine so long as i don't see it what you're doing by wearing a dyke badge or a gay badge is you're saying you have to see me yeah okay <laughs> yeah, I will not be wiped out. Yeah. 
Um, and statement badges have been replaced more recently with like all the flag, different flags. Mm-hmm. You know, the flag scene has diver- yeah. uh, diversified, as it were. You now have very um, specific um, flags for different genre of queer. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the same way that um, maybe the upside, the the right side up triangle may have at one point only identified you to other queer people, but not to straight people. There's yeah. actually a kind of a thing going on now with some of the more niche flags. Uh, so, for example, there's a green flag that transitions to pink, um, which you may not immediately identify as um, being to do with abrosexual, which is um, when someone's sexuality is fluid. It okay. just changes from time to time, right? Um, and although you may identify that as a queer person, be like, I think that's one of the pride flags, mm. you may not know it unless you also Identif- use that flag. Yeah, okay. yeah, so it kind of... Within a, a larger crowd of queer people, you can identify more specific connections that way, which is actually mm, quite... Subcultures. Yeah, right. subcultures, which is quite interesting. Again, you can do that with a lot of the um, the the badges that just have words on, but like yeah. the kind of the flag... The, um, the kind of culture around using flags at the moment is is um, getting broader. Mm. There's, there's a whole range out there, and many explainers if you want to have a look and see which ones might apply to you. <laughs> So, and finally, I'm just going to wrap this up because I think, yep, we're coming to time. Um, Vintage badges actually do exist in pretty high numbers. Um, So they were cheap, they were small and easy to store. So like it costs you nothing to to get hundreds, thousands printed to hand out and you might end up with a whole box of them left over and people sell them. So you can actually get your own piece of history quite easily. And I, I might, you know, have a look, see if there's some, some nice, vintage pin badges out there for myself because I love badges and there's tokens patches all these sorts of things um but there's also you know in some of the more niche badges there may not be vintage versions but they are in absolute masses being reproduced you can get them all over the place from the 70s 80s 90s and you can have a look um Mm. online but what is quite interesting is uh there's a selection called Pods Pins. Pod, P-O-U-D, Pod Hegarty. He joined Gaze the Word um, in 1983, and he was manager uh, from 1985 until 97. So that's uh, five plus seven, 13 years, I'm going to say. He then got a law degree and uh, moved on, but uh, very tragically died of AIDS-related diseases um, in 2000. Okay, it was pneumonia. Um, But they discovered in an attic of a building that he used to live in a absolutely huge um, collection of pin badges, protest pin badges from like... You know, the years that he was working there, it would just, you know, grab one of each or whatever. And he had this massive store um, of like hundreds of different badges. And you can now see them on display in Gaze the Word. So I don't know if you've um, been there, but at the back, there's like three or four kind of um, little display cases that have badges in them. Mm. They're on a rotating display. So so every like every now and then they will change one out to display different badges. And they're sometimes in like collections of like bisexual theme or like lesbian theme. Mm. And yeah, you can go and view them. And they've been loaned out to places like um, Brighton's uh, Museum for Queer the Pier and things like that and yeah I just yeah it's pretty what an cool. amazing collection to like a slice of history that has been saved and it's amazing because as well like I don't he wouldn't have thought that it would I don't know maybe he did think it would become part of history in the future but mm. it was just a kind of personal collection in yeah. these like bin bags yeah, yeah, yeah loads of them and someone found them cool. it wasn't a um a person associated with gays the word who found them originally but i think bas- what they did was they found them worked out who had lived in the um yeah in there before and they donated them, them to gays the word That's really cool. and it's just i remember i i've been there like yeah um, and i've looked at them and, and and kind of wondered like what what is this display like what i kind of had the idea that maybe they were probably vintage badges but i didn't realize yeah. the history behind them and, and i think cool. it would be nice to have like a little placard or something explaining yeah, that it's, it's a rotating display yeah yeah so you only found that out retrospectively doing this research? Yeah, only doing this research. There's a couple of other kind of exhibits on like protest badges yeah. around the UK. Oh, actually, um, I was we gonna... should go and have a take a selfie for our for the gram. Yeah, we absolutely should. I was actually going to say if you want to have a little look at um, a, a kind of diagram. There's um, pawdspins.word.wordpress.com. So there's actually they've been digitised, hmm. which is quite good. 
there is also busybeaver.net okay which they make badges in yeah. general they're not particularly queer but they've got a really helpful kind of uh, infographic of okay, the timeline of how these how these badges um, have changed cool. and like how uh, the use of them have changed over time so nice. um, it, I've got like a number of different um, links to exhibits and things that are ongoing as well that I will put Very into the cool. show notes because I just think they're really cool that's so cool um, the person I know who does um, a huge a huge amount of queer pins uh, nowadays is I think it's queerapparel.com and yes. it's like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Etsy person, um, yeah, queer in business, small queer in business. Um, something I heard recently um, this week was that a, a, a queer museum, not an archive, but a museum, is, mm. is opening in King's Cross in yeah. one of the uh, one of the buildings uh, at that um, on that site. Yeah, I think I've heard about this as well. I actually don't. I think when I read about it, I was like, "Will that ever happen?" It's I hope so. The queer Britain or something. It's it's wicked. And um, you've been? No, it hasn't. Oh, okay. I don't think it's opened yet, um, but it should be. It's it's just yeah, acquired the space, and yeah. they've just announced that they're opening. That's amazing. That's really so cool. good. We have yeah. to go do a trip. And of course, there's you know places like the Bishopsgate Institute, which is an amazing archive um, in London as well. If that's where you're based. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. That was really cool. Yeah. That's an amazing history. Um, I think it's really cool to find out these. Yeah. I mean, vintage badges is is a very niche topic, but what they represent and the symbolism especially when it hasn't been lost there's so much yeah. has been destroyed like it that is incredible yeah and yeah it's a very difficult painful history you know to take these symbols and to reclaim them mm. and i think it is i'm glad badges and flags are having yeah. their day again and <laughs> haven't kind of died down yeah exactly i think it's it's important and as well the in the intensity of the uh, link to just protest mm. can't be denied because yeah. like such a politicized existence like yeah. we have to protest our existence yeah. you know not protest our existence but protest for our right to exist mm-hmm. um in the way that that is they've always been related to votes like you know political <coughs> political parties always have you know when there was when brexit was happening there were badges like yeah. there's always if you can tell something becomes a political movement when a badge <laughs> accompanies it like, yeah yeah right in right this week hannah mm. i'm going to talk to you about queerness and cartoons. Oh my god! My yes. favorite subject ever. Um, <laughs> so queer people have always uh, had an uh, affiliation with the world of cartoons. Okay. And I think we've sort of touched on some of these topics and some of the themes and connections in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's you know, cartoons are a space where the suspension of disbelief creates a grounding sense of self and okay. a chosen reality, and expression is taken at face value. Yes. So already you're set up like to win basically yeah, yeah. um like our earthly restrictions of physical form and gender are utterly useless yeah, um if you have wings and horns and purple skin and an alternative universe to save uh the notion of being non-binary is never held under speculation mm-hmm. or interrogation because there is simply no assumption of cis heteronormativity mm. bold statements to begin this uh the categories are naturally blurred the non-human the unnatural the hybrid uh these things are all like normalized in yeah. cartoons um, and often celebrated you know mm. if you're if you're if you don't fit in to this kind of normal sense of normal, that doesn't matter because you're probably the the protagonist. It's probably good that <laughs> yeah. you have like laser eyes. Yeah, you know it's. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's so much more like fluidity in in drawings in cartoons um, that just transcend the gen- uh, the binaries of gender and physical restrictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the truth is, so cartoons have been queer for a really long time. Um, no big deal. As we as we know from uh, previous episodes, you spoke quite a lot about um, ja- Japanese anime, mm-hmm. um, being a, which is a great example of the ways in which the art form has has freed itself from the the westernized grip, um, like stigma and censorship on animation, because westernized cartoons were mainly marketed at children, whereas yeah. anime wasn't, so yeah, it had a okay. lot more freedom and yeah. you know was kind of a sexy time more and themes to explore yeah exactly because they had a yes yeah, much much less uh limitations yeah uh, to deal with people get real upset if you start like teaching their children things yeah, yeah exactly so yeah um anime like created whole hosts of genderqueer robots and sexualized monsters uh aimed yeah. at adult audiences basically but for western media outlets um the world of all age animation um was kind of is is just coming into bloom kind of now yeah. really like in the last i don't know like f- i'm going to say like 5 years properly i would say yeah. it's like really booming now and they're bloody successful so here's an example steven universe the movie yeah. um attracted a whopping 
57 million viewers on its original broadcast in 2019. I've heard very good things about Steven Universe. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, it's and it's popular. Like, mm. it's not like some under the radar thing, like, oh, I'm into like niche queer cartoons. Like, 1.57 million viewers. Yeah. That's so many people. And there were like no adverts either. Like, yeah. It's just uninterrupted, good queer joy. But the thing is, like, these shows are, are not dumbed down mm. for children. Mm-hmm. Um, they're complex and captivating for all ages, children and adult alike. Um, and the good news is there's a bucket load of queerness in these shows. So yeah, we've got cult classics in the likes of uh, Steven Universe, um, She-Ra, um, and Adventure Time. Yes. Um, all with Time. openly queer characters mm-hmm. and dedicated fan bases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as well as lesser known shows like uh, Avatar, um, mm-hmm. which is increasing in popularity with queer audiences due to the relatable character arcs mm-hmm. um, and events which are often experienced by the queer community. Yeah. So there's, you know isolation and like being estranged and working as community and trying to protect your community found family found family mm-hmm. um so like and even kind of slightly older than that like shows like uh, the simpsons and american yeah. dad okay. um were recognized in the 2000s for having uh they would have lgbt characters um but so now you only have to like browse through the first page of netflix and you're going to find a plethora of queer cartoons there's so many out there which is really cool and th- these shows produced like by and written by queer, trans, non-binary creators, mm-hmm. like ab- about these characters. Yeah. So it's specific. It's intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like solely focused on the stories of, yeah, gender queer characters, um, and bringing them to like the f- like the forefront of the animation spectrum. So we're in a really good time for queer cartoons. We don't have to like sift through and look for like, oh, is is that one a queer one? Mm-hmm, like, oh, mm-hmm. nothing ever happens, but it's coded queer. That kind yeah. of thing. Don't have to deal with that anymore. Characters are literally saying, I am gay on television yeah. in a kid's show. And that's really cool. So, as is tradition, um, I'm going to do a bit of sifting through history. What did you say earlier? Taking it back in the... In the way, way back machine. In the way, way back machine. Um, so I'm not going to go super way back, but... Um, okay, just yeah. the way back machine. I'm going to go a little way back and then we'll see where we are now. Okay. Sound good? Cool. Sounds good to me. Okay, so pre-1990s. Homoerotic subtext uh, has been noted in the Tom and Jerry cartoons. Stop it, really? Uh, particularly um, when they often... So they're usually seen as androgynous characters, um, but sometimes they will uh, they will cross-dress. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, kissing mm. is frequent. Wait, uh, between Tom and Jerry? Especially between the two, yeah, <gasps> two male characters. But it's often deployed to denote, like, humiliating or embarrassing the other as an enemy. So, like, they will... So, like, Jerry will, uh, you know, have bat, it, bat their eyelashes and people kind of pretending and then maybe kiss kiss them on the cheek or on the lips. And it's kind of, like, oh, embarrassment. And it's, like, yeah, the humiliation of an okay. enemy. Rude. Yeah, it's meant to be, like, a moment of embarrassing one's... Yeah, one's kind of uh, enemy or nemesis, basically. Uh, Walt Disney was criticised for some of uh, its early characters uh, hinting at, like, effeminate features Mm -hmm. or kind of actions or, like, behaviour that was deemed sissy. And sort of those characters had aspects of kind of queer coding, gay coding within animation. And often these these movements were, like, exaggerated kind of for comic effect. Okay. So they received a lot of criticism for that. Yeah, effeminate men have generally, like, quite often been used as a kind of punchline throughout history. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you've you've got kissing, but in the form of like a kind of cheeky act in order to, to cause embarrassment like, or you, got you yeah ha um you thought i was a, a lady mouse nothing about the interspecies yeah. just <laughs> exactly. about like yeah gay uh, there was a gay bar called mickey mouse in weimar berlin mm. um and at least one lesbian soiree held in the 1930s chicago dubbed the mickey mouse party <laughs> so this kind of indicates gay. like an affiliation uh, already forming between yeah. these like prominent gender fluid characters yeah. I'm going to say Mickey Mouse is a gender fluid character yeah. uh, and the queer community so despite all that kind of queer coding in early Disney and Tom and Jerry um, and like Bugs Bunny for example um, has quite a lot of that you know grows eyelashes dresses as a, a oh, lady yeah, bunny yeah, yeah. and like entices you know the enemy closer and yeah, then kiss them the, on the nose who's the and hunter away. I don't know what the hunter's called but yeah 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 there's lots of like toing and froing teasing yeah, yeah. and being like actually I'm really sexy I'm and then they like sexy. boot them up the ass yeah, 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 lots of cross-dressing and, and gender uh, Elma Fudd is the... Elma Fudd, yeah, no, it's Elma Fudd I was thinking about, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you usurp your enemy by, like, suddenly becoming a woman and being like, oh, yes, I'm super sexy, and then, yeah. ha-ha, and then, like, hit them on the head with a big hammer. Yeah. Yeah, despite all these kind of the queer coding and these early things, um, the fir- there was no sign of any openly gay character mm-hmm. um, on TV until the 1980s series Super Ted. 
Okay. Uh, which super features, Ted. Which I think I've seen Super Ted. Super Bear. He's got like a little super triangle on him and he flies. Yeah. Yeah. Super Ted. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I think he like also advertised like breakfast cereal or something. Anyway, Super <laughs> Ted, um, which featured Skeleton, uh, a campy and effeminate living skeleton okay. who often behaves in a cowardly manner. Uh, oh, like, like the cowardly lion. Yeah, in, exactly. Uh, Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's often you know these, 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 uh, these notions of sissy boys. Yeah. Um, so very campy. Uh, skeleton has the ability to put himself back together after falling apart. Oh, skeleton heart. Um, he was confirmed to be gay in a 2014 interview with the series creator Mike Young. And uh, this character obviously piques the Venn diagram of interest uh, for me in being both dead and queer. Because um, <laughs> those, those are my interests. I'm dead inside. <laughs> I'm dead inside. Um, so yeah, super dead. Big, uh, big, big waves. Very I'm cute. Super dead. Very... Uh, what else can we talk about? Um, Ursula. Mm-hmm. Of oh, course, the infamous sea witch absolutely. from The Little Mermaid, and absolutely 100% responsible for my earliest gay awakening. Oh wow! So basically, Ursula was uh, noted to be inspired uh, by the drag queen Divine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. With a little bit of Joan Collins in the mix. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say like it's because I've seen um, like uh, Divine and Ursula, and, and there is there is something else yeah. that's been added in. Just a sprinkling of Joan Collins. Yeah, Joan Collins is lovely. I fucking love Ursula, but oh, it's very God. it's like queer coding villains as well. It quite is. Common. Yeah, exactly. So these are yeah both gay 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 icons. Ursula is actually a, a really interesting character yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. Um, she was the first Disney plus size icon here in Villain Who's to Say, Darling. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also been described as uh, Mae West of the Deep Sea. Oh, really? Which is so good. <laughs> Mae West. Mae West. Uh, the reason I think Ursula is so iconic is um, is because her character kind of exerts such a lot of freedom. Yeah. Basically. Um, oozes sex appeal and yeah. danger and it's very sexy like owns her sexuality it is sexy and it's such a banger of a song it is and loads of song. energy whereas like a lot of other villains are quite like um, a bit weedy a bit nasty a bit weedy a bit nasty a bit like in the shadows whereas Ursula's just like out there living her truth yeah um, yeah she's campy and she's heightened and you know she's this she's got magical powers she's got terrific otherworldly hair yeah. Um, and yeah she's a status symbol oh, yeah. she has a lot of power in that in the little mermaid yeah. and it makes her you know very highly regarded in mm. all circles not just you know queer ones you know queer or not on screen or off so i think but one of the reasons i think queer people adore the outrageous behavior of disney villains is uh because they're not unlike male drag queens yeah like for ursula like they have a larger than life kind of performative nature and these supervillains represent the complete opposite to heteronormativity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like they are they are the antithesis of normal or good or heroic like they're they're bad and they know they're bad yeah and they live that freedom you know in these in queer circles these characteristics are, are welcomed and praised and these villains, like, they offer this kind of alternative perspective, and they're, but they're very true to it. They're mm. very true to their own life and adhere to just a different set of values yeah. um, to like their straight hero counterparts. Yeah, they're not striving to be good. They're not yeah. striving to be like loved. They're just like, I'm just, I'm just bad, baby. Yeah, she's like, oh, I, d- I couldn't help myself. She was like, no, nah, I, I want to take this lady's voice. I specifically, <laughs> I specifically lured you here to trap you to steal your voice and your, and your sexy yeah. body or whatever Yeah, it here's is. my big number. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this okay. isn't an accident, honey. Exactly. I fucking love Ursula. Anyway. Uh, and then finally, in, in eighteen uh, sorry, nineteen eighty nine, the first episode of The Simpsons actually featured a gay character, really? uh, Waylon Smithers. Oh, um, named after. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. So named after the uh, the openly gay puppeteer Wayland Flowers. Oh, that's such a cute gay name, isn't it? Nice, yeah. Wayland. Um, who is a lot so uh, Smithers is a loyal and devoting manservant to uh, Mr. Burns he fucking loves Mr. Burns man really does and the pair's relationship well it's sadly a bit of a like a running gag right mm. throughout the entire uh, series is um, with Smithers kind of falling into that perpetual stereotype of like the closeted gay man by his you know he's got this obvious infatuation um, that goes unresolved yeah so that is a bit of a trope and there are like so many double entendres in the script alluding to his homosexuality but finally in uh, in season 27, mm-hmm. 2016, mm-hmm. Smithers came out as gay. Yay! Yay! Well done, congratulations, Smithers. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, so that's all like pre. Does he get like a, a boyfriend, or is it just like he just admit admits it? I think he ha- admits it to somebody. Because um, there there's a whole episode where like Lisa's creating her own Barbie doll, or like the Cindy doll, or whatever the, yeah. they call it there, and she goes to his house, and it's completely covered in Barbie dolls, and then Mr. Yeah. Burns is his like screensaver. Mm, yeah. So there's so many references where it's like, and people, I think in this episode, I can't re- really remember it, but. He he kind of openly acknowledges that it's never going to happen. Yeah. And it's going to be a, it's a, like a pipe dream and it's sad and he is you know obsessed with with Mr. Burns and but it's not going to happen and then I think kind of acknowledges that there are other people out there that pique his interest as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's all pre nineties. Um, and a lot of these older shows are like fairly slow burners, like series twenty seven. Yeah. Like the show that's quite long. Um. So yeah, the the queer um slow burning super slow burning romantic subplot is yeah. usually like a side story yeah but yeah it's often worth the wait and um, if it's slow enough is it considered queer baiting or is it you know if it ever actually comes out yeah like would they have would it have happened had there not been like lots of fan uproar yeah. about it i don't know who yeah. knows so another kind of slow burning um queer romantic subplot is found in uh she-ra and the princesses of power the final season brought us the conclusion to the lesbian romance uh very slow burning uh catra and adora uh, with their kiss saving the universe from total yes, destruction yes the power of love <laughs> the power of love uh yeah it's so wonderful yeah like to see these these moments played out um you know you don't have to like to see it within the tv show and not just retrospectively in fan art or like shipping or like whatever like it's on screen with the actual characters it's written into the show and it's and it's there for our enjoyment like so for example like we all knew that kim possible and shigo had like an unhealthy amount of sexual tension and attraction to each other but like it never gets resolved or works out during the show no no it's always just afterwards in like tumblr yeah (laughs) um yeah, much. So he's just lying awake at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering why that scene was really good. Like, they're so obviously into each other. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, a bit like a kind of I don't know the um, Killing Eve version of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's annoying. Anyway, um, what we needed growing up was openly queer shows. Yes. Um, we, you know, with continuous payoffs and satisfactory big gay finales. That's what we needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in modern cartoons, like we're spoiled for choice. Mm-hmm. Like that's cool. Like seasons won't limit themselves to tokenism when it comes to queer characters anymore yeah. they are at the centre of of a, of a great show like she is a great example Bo has two uh, loving uh, black dads mm-hmm. Scorpia who's a butch icon that is part human part scorpion nice love fucking it fucking cool um, has two albeit dead uh, mums okay um, and in season four the, the plot focuses on a non-binary shapeshifter Ooh. called Double Trouble uh, <laughs> voiced by a non-binary actor uh, Jacob Tobiah love it love very it. cool um, like literally everything about this show is queer it's so perfect yeah it's so perfect it's so good and it's like, sad about un- the dead mums but like sad about the dead yeah. mums um, but it's very unapologetic you yeah. know um, the core theme of the story is, is about transformation. Mm. Um, magic is represented by glowing rainbows. Love it. It's just super camp. And when Adora and Catra finally get it together, uh, get together, there is a get it together. There is a, a, a rainbow eruption, and their kiss <laughs> actually saves the universe. Like, have you ever heard of something? Rainbow more? eruption. Love it. Like, Love it. as a queer teen, like that's something yeah. to aspire to. I think. Yeah. So nowadays, like as I said, there's there's less left up to decoding and speculation. Um, cartoon characters such as Benson from the Age of Wonder Beasts literally says the words "I'm gay" on screen. There are you know there's this moment where a character like expresses interest in him and he says, "Oh, um, no, I'm gay," mm. and and then they move on. And they're like, "Cool, thanks, bye." With their friendship, yeah. yeah. So for the more retro audiences uh, who mm-hmm. grow up with Scooby Doo, uh, you'll be pleased to know that the creators have finally confirmed that Velma is a lesbian. We know. <laughs> Which of course we all knew already. We knew, but thank you for telling us. Uh, if you were a fan of um, Ducktales, I know of it. Ducktales, um, the Disney uh, XD reboot featured an episode in 2020 uh, where it revealed that the character Violet has two seriously cute gay dads. Um, in the first scene where we meet them, uh, they're even wearing these matching t-shirts that say, oh I'm with Dad. And they're both wearing one, and the arrows point to each other. <laughs> it's adorable. That's cute. <laughs> Every, okay, even everyone's uh, favourite lovable sponge, mm-hmm. SpongeBob SquarePants, brought into the conversation mm-hmm. with uh, uh, when Nickelode- Nickelodeon creator Steven Hildenberg uh, put the question over SpongeBob's sexuality yeah. uh, to bed. By confirming that they are neither straight nor gay. Ah. Ah, but in fact, asexual. I d- yeah, that makes more sense, actually. He's yeah. way more ace. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Todd from Bojack Horseman is also an asexual character. Yeah. Uh, probably the most well known um, across the notable I do love Todd. Services. He's great. Yeah. Um, and in terms of bi representation, um, The Loud House features notorious Luna Loud, um, a punky bisexual character, and Summy, her girlfriend, along with Howard and Harold McBride, two gay dads. Um, People love their gay dads. People love gay dads. Um, What else we got? Uh, Danger and Eggs, something I hadn't seen but watched a couple of clips of. Danger and Eggs or Eggs? Eggs. Eggs. Oh, okay. Uh, Which is also, it's kind of aimed at a younger audience, um, and it was the first cartoon created by uh, a trans woman, uh, Shady Petoskey. And features like a whole host of queer characters. Uh, it's voiced by and qu- voiced by queer actors. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <Hey>, us. <laughs> we have voices. Um, the plot centers around Dee Dee, a daredevil child, nice. um, and their friend Philip, a safety-oriented orin- mutant egg. Philip the egg, so it's danger and eggs. Uh, so yeah, you know, when you're watching these shows, you're not expecting realism. Like they are best pals with an egg. Uh, you know, why would you want it to be real? Like, <laughs> how yeah. would the egg save the world anyway? Yeah, the real world just has so many restrictions and complications that the animated world just like just does not yeah, have time no, you for. You don't have to be held up to anything. You can have an egg that is safety conscious for you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like yeah. who's gonna be more safety conscious than Humpty Dumpty? Like anyway, it's so breakable. He's so fragile. These so programs that are like aimed at kids are appropriate for all ages and mm. increasingly tackling more and more complex issues. But they are they're gentle at their core. Yeah, like the goodies win and the characters overcome adversity and. Things might get bad for a while, but then they get better. And uh, as queer adults who spent a lot of their own childhoods like reading queerness into pretty much everything, anyway, like we need to s- see this, mm. and like we need these good stories played back to us. Yeah, like we need, we still need to see the representation now because our childhoods belonged there. Yeah. They belonged, and they belong here too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like I feel a lot of very pure, unspoken joy when I watch things like Steven Universe. Yeah, um, yeah. I highly recommend it. Because, like, the show th- is just inherently queer, like, throughout. It's not... You don't have to read into it, it's just there for you. Mm. And, uh, They're fully out. Fully anything, out. Yeah. Yeah, th- so the central character, Stephen, is raised by a trio of female-coded, genderless space aliens. Mm-hmm. And actually, him and his father are the only prominent male characters in the entire show. So, you know, he's pretty outnumbered. But, yeah, the rest of the characters <laughs> are predominantly female, female-coded, or gender non-conforming. Like, they're yeah. a bunch of powerful crystal gems. Love it. Trying to protect the world from various threats and yeah. monsters. Uh, except for Steve, uh, except for Stephen, who is um, half human and half gem, and ends up kind of just trying to accompany his friends on all these missions. It's really heartwarming, That's very sweet, very wholesome. But so not only does Stephen uh, Universe promote queer, the queer concept of found families, mm-hmm. um, but also these characters uh, are progressively just get queer and queer throughout the further series goes on. Like it's not only this incredibly heartfelt. Um, show but it's 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 making some pretty big waves and like that yes there is a lesbian kiss um in steven universe but like fans were pretty much already sold on that like yeah we weren't hanging on for it um you know its credibility as a queer show extends far beyond that like yeah it wasn't something they had to put in the last episode because they were afraid it was going to get cancelled yeah exactly or like oh we're not our fans don't know if we're queer yeah so it was the kiss in question was was seen as a milestone for the lgbtq plus Mm. community um as it was, com- it was completely uncensored, mm-hmm. um, and even followed like an on-screen marriage proposal. Love it between this, this same-sex couple, uh, Ruby and Sapphire. Um, also on Steven Universe, um, in season one, the show uh, introduced a non-binary character, uh, mm. Steve Oni. Steve Oni, which is where Steven and his human friend Connie fuse mm. uh, into a new gender-neutral form that uses they/them pronouns. Um, and it, uh, and this form, Steve Oni, attracts uh, attention of both you know, human men and women alike uh, yeah. who are drawn to this kind of androgynous physicality of, of Steve Bonnie. Much like the experience of NB's IRL. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so the show's writer and creator, Rebecca Sugar, mm. um, is non-binary and identifies as bisexual, making, making them the first out non-binary person to make an independent show on Cartoon Network. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waves. Um, all five seasons of Steven Universe hold a five-star rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Amazing, love it. And the show was described by Wired magazine as being uh, one of the stealthiest, smartest, and most beautiful things on air. That's such good praise. It is good. So, Re- so yeah, Rebecca Sugar um, also previously worked on Adventure Time. Mm, um, I fucking for, love Adventure Time. For which they were nominated, you know, their work was nominated for seven Primetime Emmy Awards. Holy shit. So, like, not going unnoticed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nothing to yeah, Sugar was the creative who first suggested that Princess Bubblegum and uh, Marceline could have been could have been in a same sex relationship in their past. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. obviously the rest is history. 
Um, and uh, although it did take uh, until 2018 for their groundbreaking confirming kiss to hit the screen. Yeah, it was like the last episode or something. Yeah, they kind but of it was it. like it was quite coded up until that point. Like there's kind of bits where they it seems like um, Marceline's introducing bubblegum to somebody as her girlfriend, but mm. like as in like they're going for dinner together, but it's not okay. ever spoken about. And it's yeah, it, it's it's like really heavily, heavily implied. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it kind of took a little while and it took a lot of, you know, Rebecca talks, Rebecca Sugar talks a lot about the censorship that it took like years to get it through the network to actually yeah. confirm on screen. Yes, this is, this is a relationship. It's so popular around the world that mm. it is, it's broadcast in countries where it is illegal to be gay. Mm. And so, um, I think there was just a lot of like people that didn't want it to get cancelled or yeah. banned, which is, you know. I can understand there's a lot of jobs at stake, but also like it's a little bit cowardly when you know that if you just keep pushing forward, yeah. it'll still be very popular everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Leave the haters behind. Mm. Um, and obviously Steven Universe came after Adventure Time and was just its own thing mm-hmm. and had its own praise and you know its own popularity. So it's almost like Sugar went from like fighting within, within Cartoon Network, network at, yeah. at, um, with Adventure Time to just creating this entirely perfectly queer show being like fine I can't even get a kiss I'm going to make the whole show queer this is about the crystal gems yeah exactly representation like particularly from like a young age is so incredibly important Mm. and the more queer characters we see uh, reflected in a positive light authentically and supernaturally like the better Um, yeah because like and without resorting to tropes and stereotypes Mm. um or like reserved solely for the villain of the story um like because we are we are more than that and like our lives do deserve to be taking up space as the heroes for once yeah for for every time i I, yeah i'm quite passionate about this because yeah cartoons are responsible for so much when it comes to gender expression and influence like outside of the animated realm yeah um the infamous uh, RuPaul mm. even credits Bugs Bunny as his intro to his world-acclaimed profession, drag. Oh, really? Saying That's that so good. Bugs Bunny was my first introduction to drag. As a kid, I always dressed in everything. I would use all the tools available as a human to express myself. That's so good. And I think like that distinction that RuPaul makes is really interesting. Yeah. Like the tools available to him as a human. Mm. You know, like cartoonists and animators and illustrators like have such a a vast palette to work with um you know the possibilities are endless because they can just change the physical attributes of, of a character and then they will become that if that makes yeah. sense i also think there's like quite an interesting thing as you were describing but like that and bugs bunny i was thinking that quite often if they have like a, a male and a female version of the same of of the same like cartoon species it will just look like the same one mm. but with different clothes on yeah and yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. not they don't change that much about it they're just like this one now has long eyelashes and it's a woman and it's a, yeah. and so it's a woman or like this one walks slightly different and it's a woman so you kind of you don't even have to think that that much would cha- have to change to then express femininity mm. or masculinity differently yeah and like why do people go so far out of their way to like expose like trans women for example they're a woman like she's a woman she's wearing a dress and she's presenting as a woman and and she's a woman like yeah it is it equals that yeah it's not like you don't have to go like out of your way to be like they're you know born male or whatever like it's just so So what does it matter it doesn't fucking matter and like so yeah basically the possibilities are endless like all it takes for mickey mouse to be to become Minnie mouse Mm. is a pair of pumps and a polka dot print yeah like Bugs Bunny can rock a frock and grow eyelashes in an instant to use to his advantage to seduce and dupe uh, Elmer Fudd. Yeah. Like, Bugs Bunny became a female version of Bugs Bunny yeah. just by having eyelashes in the next scene. Yeah. And it's like, it's like applying it's them... It's so much like comp- confirming that gender is a, a performance. It is, yeah. And like, it's, and it's instantaneous. Like, they just become that. Mm. Like, it's not like, you know, there is that suspension of disbelief and... Basically, like, the growing number of queer cartoon characters emerging, like, they have all these wonderful signifiers in alignment to this very real-world community, um, which I really, which I like. And, like, there is such a lot more for kids to grow up with and characters to encourage them to explore their own means of expression, like, whether that's with gender or Mm. or fashion or art or or anything, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think, for me, like, yeah, it's the freedom that is really important, and that's what queer cartoons represent for me, um... Because, yeah, love and freedom, they're not, like... They're not adult 
themes. Yeah. Like, they're for everyone. Yeah. That's what's really important as human beings. Like, you exist. You exist, yeah. And, and you see. And it's, yeah, absolutely. Like, love, love and relationships aren't just an adult thing, like yeah. you said. And that's one of the things about trying to get, like, relationship education for younger kids rather mm. than, not sex education but like relationship education be like sometimes boys hold hands with boys and sometimes girls mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing or like sometimes you might not feel you might feel you want to wear different kind of clothes or like your yeah. friends and like yeah. that's okay and yeah it's a, it's to have that kind of representation in in cartoons and things not only for like a younger audience to be able to point to that and be like that's me or like yeah. I feel like that as an older person to be like kind of accessing a younger part of yourself when you're watching mm. it as well and mm. kind of be comforted and be yeah. happy to see it happen. Yeah. yeah, and without it having to be, like, you know, a, a kind of exposing plot line that is difficult yeah. and painful. It's like, no, these people are just... It, the, the plot is not about their queerness mm. or their gender. It's about them saving the world. There's yeah. bigger things at stake, quite frankly. <laughs> like, you know, it's... You know, they've got purple skin. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's like, well, can you? Are you sure that that's what you want to be focusing on? The queerness when they're all like robots and the universe yeah. is at stake. I feel like there's other things going on yeah. here. Pick your battles. Exactly. Pick your battles. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, um, this has been really great. Thank you for um, the amazing story and like kind of delving into the and unpicking the animated world and gender representation daisy uh we have um twitter and uh, instagram Instagram. at radio zaddy x-a-d-d-y radio the traditional way and find us on any uh platform of your of your podcast choosing a good podcast are sold okay thank you very much for listening thank you see you you next time